During Advent, we've been looking at biblical texts in chapters 1 and 2 of Luke's Gospel, where angels have brought an announcement of the birth of John, the birth of Jesus, and then comes the birth of John, and now today's reading comes the birth of Jesus. In each instance, there's a description of what took place and then some kind of a response on the part of someone else. And in this case, um, when once Jesus is born, the first eyewitnesses to come to verify that God has done this wonderful thing as someone is a group unexpected to be the first visitors there. Let us listen as Paul, not Steve, reads the morning text. This is from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20, from the Common English Bible. In those days, Caesar Augustus declared that everyone throughout the empire should be enrolled in the tax lists. The first enrollment occurred when Quirinius governed Syria. Everyone went to their own cities to be enrolled. Since Joseph belonged to David's house and family line, he went up from the city of Nazareth in Galilee to David's city called Bethlehem in Judea. He went to be enrolled together with Mary, who was promised to him in marriage and who was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for Mary to have her baby. She gave birth to her firstborn child, a son, wrapped him snugly and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the guest room. Nearby shepherds were living in the fields, guarding their sheep at night. The Lord's angels stood before them. The Lord's glory shone, uh, uh, shone around them, and they were terrified. The angels said, don't be afraid. Look, I bring good news to you, wonderful, joyous news for all people. Your Savior is born today in David's city. He is Christ the Lord. This is a sign for you. You will find a newborn baby wrapped snugly and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great assembly of the heavenly forces was with the angel praising God. Glory to God in heaven and on earth. Peace among those whom he favors. When the angels returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go right now to Bethlehem and see what's happened. Let's confirm what the Lord has revealed to us. They went quickly and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. When they saw this, they reported what they had been told about this child. Everyone who heard it was amazed at what the shepherds told them. Mary committed these things to memory and considered them carefully. The shepherds returned home, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. Everything happened just as they had been told. The word of the Lord. I was amazed the other day when on the news someone reported that half of America had not finished its Christmas shopping. And I thought to myself, how do they know that? 
And how do they know I'm one of them? Um, and then they tell you how many people will be traveling, and you just go, how do they know that? Well, I don't know about you, but um, at this time of year, someone's bound to ask me, may I help you find something? And if I hesitate, they, they will likely to follow with an even harder question, what are you looking for? I'm tempted to respond with, if I knew that, I wouldn't have this look on my face. <clears throat> I typically say something like, I'll know it when I see it, or I'm hoping that something in this store will remind me what I'm looking for and I can go find it in another store. But you don't want to tell them that. <laughs> my preference when it comes to shopping is to know in advance what it is I want to get in to the store and get out with that item as quickly as possible. So it's not a good idea to go shopping at this time of year. <laughs> However, there are times when I have to just wander around with this searching look on my face, hoping that something calls out to me. And I'm hoping that the people I'm buying it for <laughs> feels that call as well. <laughs> I once overheard a sales clerk ask a customer what she was looking for, and the shopper replied, my husband. And, and the clerk said, what does he look like? And she said, I don't know. I have yet to meet him. <laughs> the angel who appeared to the shepherds on the Judean hillsides, announcing the birth of Jesus, told them what to look for. This is a sign for you. You will find a newborn baby wrapped snugly and lying in a manger. Only one aspect of that sign is peculiar. A manger. Everybody's used to seeing a, a small baby wrapped snugly. Or if you prefer the old version, in swaddling cloths. All right? But a manger is definitely not the usual place you would find a newborn, at least a human one, nor where you would expect to find God's Messiah. Not only is the place and setting of Jesus' birth startling, but so are the recipients of the angel's news. Who would choose shepherds to be the eyewitnesses of God's appearance? On earth. Shepherds spend most of their time with sheep in isolated, rural, unpopulated areas. If you want to get word out that something important has happened, you would likely choose someone of more prominence in the community, someone with a little higher standing who knows more people, who's used to being around people. Nevertheless, typical of biblical stories. God chooses the least likely person for the most extraordinary things. The primary responsibility of a shepherd, whether they're looking after their own family's flock or, in many cases, their hired hands who look after someone else's, and they tend to be young. Their primary purpose is to keep watch over the sheep, to make sure they're safe to watch out for any 
encroachment of danger and to make sure they get to food, that they're able to find food. Recall the time that Samuel um, was told by God to go to the house of Jesse to anoint God's newly chosen king who would become Saul's successor. So starting with the oldest to the strongest, Jesse parades his sons in front of Samuel, thinking for sure one of them among the earliest ones will be the one chosen. But none of them were. It was not until Samuel asked, is this all of your sons, that Jesse said, oh yes, there's one more, the youngest, the scrawniest, the least likely. He's out in the fields with the sheep. He's not around much. We prefer it that way. Um, and when David was put in front of Samuel, God said, this is the one. Perhaps it's for this reason, the fact that David, who becomes Israel's greatest king, was himself a shepherd that God sends the message to these shepherds along the hillside. Or maybe it was the fact that continually the prophets use the image of a shepherd to talk about how one should lead people, what the role of a leader is and the, and the care and support of a leader. It's not in the focus of that individual, it's in the service that that person provides. For those of us who are less inclined to enter into this story, I suggest we consider how we might answer the question posed to these shepherds. What is it that we're looking for? What from life, from people closest to us, or even from God, what do we need? What do we want? What is it that most occupies our minds and our hearts? Is it some unfulfilled relationship that we have? Is it a job that better aligns with our goals and our passions? Some form of improved health or a sense of greater security? What is it that we desire or seek? Whatever that is, the message of Luke's gospel is that the one sent by God to be Israel's Messiah and Savior of the world has indeed come. And the startling thing is, He's looking for us. The celebrated news in the birth of Jesus is that God is now on the scene, working to root out the world's problems, working to make what is wrong right again working to win us back to God's, to a relationship with God, one of trust and dependence. Whatever it is that we're looking for or hoping that 2019 will bring us, it's important for us to pause and realize that we can be found, found by God. Luke seems to hint that even the location of Jesus' birth has significance for us. When Rome initiated an international census for purposes of collecting taxes, 
it was necessary for people to register in the hometown of their family of origin. And so Joseph, who at the time was living in Nazareth, takes his wife to be Mary and, and embarks some 80 miles south to the region of Judea where Bethlehem is located because he was of the line and family of David. In fact, I love the, um, the this biblical uh, translation says because he belonged to the house and line of David. It is this sense of belonging that anchors us to our past, but also has a bearing on our future, just as you heard Andrew share. So we have to ask, to whom do we belong? That's a very important question. Each of us, whether raised by birth parents or adopted parents, whether someone has invested in us as a grandparent or has become some kind of a surrogate parent in the form of a mentor, each of us can say we belong. There's someone who lays claim upon us. Someone to whom, from whom we're descended, or more importantly, to whom we feel connected. Some of us have had to trade our sense of belonging from family and a home with belonging to a place of work or some new community or a set of friends. Just think how many television programs are about that, where people have made family out of someone or some community or some setting other than their family of origin. It's a pervasive need in our society. If not our family, then we adopt another form of family. It is where we feel loved, accepted, and supported. Where words spoken to us or about us are never squandered or ignored, but they're words that are treasured and cherished. I know it's an alarming message, but we still have to hear it. <laughs> Luke presents Jesus' genealogy, not at this point, at the point of his birth, but later as an adult, he speaks in chapter 3 of where it is that Jesus has come from. And Luke traces Jesus' family line through some 14 generations, connecting Jesus to his earliest, most important descendant, David. And you know why he's doing that, because this will be Israel's king, but not just Israel, he will rule Overall, he will fulfill God's promise that through Israel, God would reach the world and restore the world to himself. But he doesn't stop at David. When he gets back to that descendant, you would think that's the greatest descendant of all. But he pushes back even further. And you would think he would then land on the father of Israel. I mean, the father of, of the faith, Abraham. And through whom all of, of um, Israel's descendants have a sense of belonging. But he doesn't stop there. He presses past Abraham all the way back to Adam. And then uses this phrase at the very end. Son of God. 
because that is the title Luke uses for Jesus. At the outset of his gospel, he's saying, I want to tell you about the Son of God. I think it's significance. I think it is very significant that, that Luke does this. Because he, in essence, is saying the true God is the one in whose image we humans are made. Each and every one of us belong to that family line and ultimately belong to God. Now Luke's going to make it very clear that this, in this birth story, Jesus is uniquely connected to God. He is the true Son of God and is himself then God. But Luke also wants us to see that Jesus belongs to us. He is human just like us. And that all of us together belong to God. This is no mythological God who watches over the scene of humanity from afar and whose celebrated drama affects the affairs of mortals, says N.T. Wright. Nor is it a pagan God who wreaks havoc in the lives of humans. No, this is the one who, as St. Augustine said, made us for himself. This is the God who is personal, who has an agenda with each and every one of us. So if someone were to ask you, why do you observe Christmas? Why did Jesus come? The simple answer is because we belong to God. That's why. And then leave it up to them to try to figure out what does that mean? According to Luke, God's favor and the blessing of God's rule is not simply for Israel, but for all people. And that includes you and me and everyone we meet. And think of this, that the very manner in which Jesus is born, that God makes his appearance in the most humble and modest way possible. He becomes vulnerable so that he might be accessible to each and every one of us. When God takes the initiative throughout this story, it is always an initiative for our good and done in love. May that be the experience of each of us this Christmas and for all of those whom we love. Amen.